Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This week's Syrupcast is sponsored by Rome Mobility. Stop paying roaming fees. For unlimited talk, text, and data while traveling in the U.S., visit roammobility.com and order your SIM card today. Do it for the pod! Welcome to SyrupCast episode 27 on this, the last day of 2014. As always, I am joined by my cohorts in crime, Douglas Soltis. How are you, sir? Go to hell, 2014. Yes. And Jane McIntyre. How are you today? Yay, drinking! Oh, it's a bit early. I hope you uh, yeah, are at least putting some tea. tea in that whiskey. No, there's no whiskey yet. I'm saving myself. Oh, you have the same double uh, double walled glasses as I do. No, this one is one I got for free at the LCBO. I'm not going off well. It's like we can just cut the first five minutes. This came for free in the LCBO. Oh, that's a good that's a good cut. Yeah, but I do have the the Bodum double walls. I I got these. Glasses. These are these are my favorite. Oh, nice. Keep... Where'd you get those? Ex- Sorry, fuck fuck mobile tech. Where'd you get them cups, Daniel? <laughs> Sorry, we're so bad at podcasting. <laughs> I I forgot not to swear. I'm sorry. It's okay. Explicit <sighs> tag makes us more popular anyway. Really, it does. Um, I got them from an ex actually. She gave them to me for my birthday, Ooh, and they were one talk. of the things that I, one of the things that I was not willing to uh, like get rid of because I'm like encourage. Ah, you know what? <laughs> you 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 like live your life and you go through these experiences and. You know, you get things on the way, and, and, and like sometimes you get rid of them because they bring you painful memories, and sometimes you keep them because they make your coffee really delicious and warm. So, or they're you know, sweaters. I, I had a similar experience when a guy that I dated gave me the entire Calvin and Hobbes collection, and I was like, "Yeah, oh, I love that I'm thing." I give these back, and that thing is so heavy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's actually more oh, of a no, burden to get like rid of it. No, it was like each individual book that he had collected. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I um, I bought that whole like it's like a two book set. And it's so heavy. It's like 20 pounds. But they're so good. Oh, it's amazing. Still one of the best presents I've gotten, really. But, um... Douglas, has has one of your exes ever given you a really good present that you kept? Yeah, let's not talk about tech. Let's talk about what our exes gave us for Christmas. I have a general tendency to burn it all. Uh, Nice. But I I am am in my bedroom, which has a... uh, (laughs) a, One might say, like, a tarp. a, uh, A piece of fabric from nepal that still sits over my bed that i should probably mm. you know burn in a garbage can 
and cleanse the ear. watchful eye. Yeah. Douglas, you know the way you're from the countryside? Do I know the way that, huh, huh, what? You're from the countryside. Uh, I'm from the countryside, I guess. Okay. I think it's really funny that when, when Daniel talks about things that his ex gave him, it's like really douchey coffee mugs. And when you talk, you're like, got a real nice tarp that I hold on, that I held on to. No, he covers his CD collection with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, ob- I obviously don't. The... You can see it in the background. It's completely uncovered. <laughs> well, then the joke was, uh, it was not good. It fell flat. What else fell flat this year? On, Everything uh, on a good note. Oh, segue. The internet. Uh, the, the internet, internet kind of was terrible mm. all year. Um, no, let's let's talk about the good and bad of 2014. So, uh, this was a particularly interesting year for uh, content. I think that there was a lot of consolidation on the content front. A lot of media companies buying out other media companies, growing, raising money. Uh, which is good for the industry, but also terrifying. And, uh, you know, we saw big sites like uh, The Verge hiring, or Vox in general, hiring, like, millions of of writers and uh, launching, you know, Vox.com. There's BuzzFeed, which is growing. Uh, First Look uh, started The Intercept, and we know how that turned out. They got an exclusive interview with Jay from Serial, so that's their biggest success by far. Mobile Nations Corp doubled in size. Mobile Nations is oh, sorry. yeah. <laughs> I, oh my god, that this is how done I am with this year. I meant to say Mobile Syrup Corp, Corp and I said Mobile Nations. Oh god. Um, oh. Well, Mobile Nations did grow, but they they always grew. Yes, you you guys are here. You are the reason that I'm sitting yeah. standing here today. Uh, I probably would have died from exhaustion if you guys hadn't come on board. Um, I think you're the reason we're here because otherwise we would be poor, hungry, uh, yes. jobless. We don't pay you. So. Yeah. It's true. I'm still hungry and though. Stickers, Facebook sticker packs. That's what we get. <laughs> BBM sticker packs, but we'll get to that later. So, oh. yeah, I, I think this year was was really great for us. We went through some uh, turmoil, a uh, little bit of of a uh, hit a couple bumps with the redesign back in July and August. Uh, so, overall, uh, we launched the podcast though, which was great, and um, yeah. we're now on our 27th episode. And it's the most popular podcast on the internet by far, so you know, that's great. <laughs> Not involving murders or sports, right? Wait, does Grantland have a podcast? Grant Han- Grantland has all the podcasts. Oh, I haven't gotten to those yet. They're actually named iTunes top podcast of 2014. I think we should just start a podcast talking about other podcasts. Ooh, meta. We could That'd sell that good. to Vox or oh, Buzzfeed. I think so. I'll sell my soul to, book, to Vox, just, to, what just to get on Chorus, just to get on their CMS. That CMS is amazing. Uh. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Uh, okay, so, but we, we don't really need to talk about media. We can talk about tech, because that's what we do. So, what happened in tech? I think the biggest trend this year, whether we liked it or not, was wearables. And I think we can, we can probably start there pretty safely. Uh... There was, you know, after Google launched Android Wear in March and Apple announced the Apple Watch in September, I think the the notion of of wearables going mainstream was was already out there, but this sort of cemented it. Uh, Jane and I were at the Android Wear launch in Google at Google I/O in, in uh, June, so we got to see firsthand sort of the 
the missteps of like early generation, like first generation uh, wearables. But it was a lot more sort of, it was a lot more interesting than what we saw at CES last year, which was just like a whole bunch of companies trying to throw Android onto a two-inch display and call, it a, yeah. and call it a smartwatch. So let's start there. What do you guys, I mean, do you think wearables are where they should be? Do you think that they should have waited a couple more years to get the tech down? What, what are your thoughts? I think it's weird because I don't know if it's just that I'm super young, but I feel like the early adopter phase has like gotten really, really short. So now that now that it really only takes like a year or two for for companies to like quote get it right, if you bought one this year, you're probably planning to buy one next year, and that's kind of like I don't know. You're saying should they've waited, and it's like yeah, but yeah. I mean, I think you're- I think people who bought it this year are pretty happy. Like, they, they got what they were expecting. I think you're totally right. I think the early adopter phase, or, like, I think the cycles of tech development have accelerated. That's what I mean. They made, they've made it so short. Yeah, so wearables being are exactly where they should be right now in terms of their development. Whether or not that's interesting. Like, they're not where they, they should be to be compelling, but they're where they need to be to get there. Um, because it's I think it's less about getting the tech right as it is getting all the the functionality and the use case and the understanding of why it's important right and i think that's it's going to happen faster with wearables than it did with uh smartphones because first of all this wearable tech is usually paired to the functionality of a smartphone and second of all the general like the general tech density of society now is higher where adding something to your wrist that does stuff is like People are looking towards that, whereas the smartphone thing, they were almost needing to be an argument for that, or it needed to reach like a Jesus phone tipping point before people were like, okay, this, we need this in our lives. I think people are looking for more tech in their lives. Um, yeah, but that I be- mean, go ahead. Well, that being said, though, so we work in a shared uh, office space with other tech related companies. <clears throat> and uh, late one evening this week, I was just shooting the. Uh, conversation with uh <laughs> another company and they mentioned you know we were talking like you know, what were the biggest stories in tech and they were like yeah wearables and then um one of the gentlemen just like, popped up a a, sm- a smartwatch that i'd never even heard of just like one of the models that we didn't even like graze our coverage because it was just random he's like yeah i got it don't know what to do with it or what it's for and i was like yeah that's that's wearables in 2014 like significantly more interest and still not the thing that will get the mass populace to say i want one of these things but you know i think it's it's too early to expect that from a product category yeah you you wrote about this uh earlier in the month or late november when tom emmerich our wearables expert hosted we are wearables and nielsen had a few stats about wearables and smartwatches in particular and i mean really People know about smartwatches, but they don't really know why they need to buy one. And I think only 4% of Canadians own one. Uh, yeah. So that's a very low number. But it's also indicative of, like, if we went to, if, if we, you know, went to 2008, 2009, and we asked people, uh, why do you think you need a smartphone? Um, even though it was a year out, they would have said, well, because I want to, you know, communicate with my friends and call 
my parents and and take photos and share it on you know even though Instagram at the time wasn't launched like you can share photos on Facebook things like that uh, the the value proposition of a wearable is still out you know it's it's still sort of unclear and I don't think it will it will uh, solidify even when the tech is ready you know right now I use my smartwatch for notification triage and I think that's what most people do but I've gone days and weeks without anything on my wrist and I don't regret or I don't miss it when I don't have it it's it's a nice value add but if even people in 2008 2009 back when the you know first second generation iPhone and Androids were coming out they were still addicted to their smartphones just as much as they are today oh I would f- do you Sorry, I was yeah. going to say, if I left my house without my phone, I would flip my brick. Um, and if I did that with a, a smartwatch, I would probably not even notice until I came back and saw it, you know, sitting on my dresser. The only reason I notice is because, uh, and this happened, I remember the first time this ever happened to me when I had like a phone, like a like a cell phone that had a vibrate function. And now it's happening is that when I leave it at home, I'm like, was that my wrist? And then I'm like, cause I swear that I can feel it vibrating. And then I check my wrist and there's nothing there. And I'm like, oh yeah. So this is like a new like phantom vibration thing where you're like, is that my phone? And then it's not cause it never is. Well, back in the day, Douglas would probably, um, you know, echo this when Blackberry OS could, uh, allowed you to set custom notifications, custom vibrations for mm-hmm. specific people. I would like when when my mom would text me I would have like a quick three vibrations and then when I got a BBM from like you I would have like two sh- like long vibrations or whatever like I set that up so specifically and that really messed like with my it, it, it was but it really messed with my equilibrium when I didn't have it because I would feel like phantom vibrations but like specific vibrations <laughs> and that's so weird and this is a thing there's like an entire Wikipedia article on like on people who think that, like, on that, like, that feeling and that phenomenon where you're, like, you can swear that you can feel it even when you don't have the device. They haven't added smartwatches to it yet. I checked. But smartwatches are, I mean, what, what, one thing that's very obvious about smartwatches is that, A, they're not going anywhere, but B, uh, they're going to replace even those early first, second generation fitness wearables very quickly because they're consolidating all of these features into a single product just the way that smartphones did in you know the mid 2000s and i'm not gonna, you're not going to need a fitbit because your apple watch will eventually read your heart rate all the time and it will communicate to apple health or your you know android wear device will communicate to google fit and the consolidation of wearables is going to happen much more quickly than uh, i think most people realize yeah so let's tie that back to what you were saying before about the the use case because like uh, unless you have a piece of like hardware doesn't usually bring with it um, specifically articulated use cases unless it's designed as a utility. So you think of like hardware as camera, hardware as like microphone, video recorder, um, display screen, things like this, all being consolidated into a smartphone. Uh, I don't think it's up to the uh, smartwatch manufacturers to to build in specific use cases it they just have to be robust enough to support whatever use cases the service providers kind of come up with um because the thing that made so smartphones so compelling in the early days 
and that that general transition wasn't the like embedded platform stuff it was all the apps it became an app ecosystem um so i think you will see all these you know health health bands and things like that be consolidated into one device and then that's where the software providers can kind of take advantage of that um like you know i, I as i kind of wrote in my end of the year thing like i i want an apple watch and i don't know why yet but i also didn't know why i wanted a tablet or i didn't really know why i wanted a smartphone when i first had it i just thought it was totally boss like you could just feel potential um i think are getting that potential down is like way harder in the wearable space simply because it's like everything's contextual. Context is like the hardest thing to do technology wise. It, it takes a lot of like care and nuance and it's more than just an algorithm. It's more than just like, Hey, pretty photos or it's more than uh, spec bumps can provide. It takes like real design. But if it, if it works, if someone gets it right, it's going to be, crazy good what does that mean though getting it right context is still something that smartphones have trouble offering and we've seen examples of this even you know google now is magic in so many ways um but i find it frustrating that it doesn't offer the same sort of real-time predictions as a native app experience and and i'll give you an example it provides uh, transit information. So if I am near a transit stop that I use all the time, it'll give me the next three transit uh, uh, times. But because it only updates every six minutes, 12 minutes, and this isn't a problem with Google Now specifically, it's a problem with the way that we interact with our smartphones, it's a, way we, it's a problem with connectivity and battery life, but it's never going to replace me explicitly going into a transit app to look up the next um, streetcar times. And that's just a fact because those sort of predictive pieces of information that should be pushed to you are, uh, you know, they don't, Google doesn't know what you're doing all the time. I mean, okay. eventually it will and want to, but. So that, that context is we have, we have smartphones, we have smart apps, we have dumb systems in the sense that they're barely connected together and in ways that don't leverage the benefits uh, of each to be more more than the sum of their parts. Oftentimes, it's less because you deal with redundancy across different systems. Like we had a conversation yesterday about like, how come Slack on my phone doesn't work as well as the desktop? Why are we missing things? Why isn't it smart enough to know what's going on? And I think, you know, in in thinking of technology as not being like electronics and wires and and hardware. Um, and more about how things become enabled or empowered or simplified through design. Like this is the this is going to be the hardest thing to to be done without some sort of advanced machine learning or you know like little little gnomes like just following you along. Because like Google now would be great if you had someone constantly checking if like daniel had a personal assistant going around observing what he does uh, monitoring the times that you do check your device and go into apps for things providing better suggestions learning from you all the time um it would be it would be amazing but the the energy and the effort and the outputs of that you know 
it's a lot. But that's... Doesn't Nokia's doesn't Nokia's launcher have the Android launcher? I mean Nokia, Nokia, not Microsoft Nokia. But when the day announced, doesn't that do that? It has like a morning, afternoon, and night where it monitors which apps you check. So then it'll serve you a different home screen on your phone depending on. It's like oh hey, like at lunchtime, Douglas always checks his Instagram. So yeah. as soon as it hits noon, from like noon to four, it's going to show you a homepage that has Instagram as like the first thing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's something that Android launchers have been doing for a while. Aviate's yeah. the reason Yahoo spent whatever they did on Aviate was for that contextual data and the fact that they had this system where it would basically track you. And although the tracking was meant for marketing purposes to suggest apps, I mean, that's how they make money because they see what apps you use and then they offer alternatives that you might like as well. And every time they get you to click on one, they get some money. That's the same thing Twitter does. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than that, it's offering you morning, afternoon, and nighttime you know, setups. And you don't have to do anything to change that. And there's a cottage industry of Android launchers that are that's doing that now. And the, the good thing, and, and we'll get to that in a bit, but the good thing about Android in 2014 is that those sort of systems no longer bog down the phone itself. Back when AV8 first came out, the hardware, the battery, everything wasn't really strong enough to support it. And one of my favorite things about 2014 was just that the hardware finally caught up to the software. I never have to buy a phone anymore worrying that the battery's not going to last all day. Seriously, I mean, I can't name a single phone, Android, BlackBerry, Windows Phone, or iPhone that doesn't last at least a whole day. And that wasn't a given in 2013. So, I mean, a lot of that behavior could be that we're offloading some of it to our smartwatches, so we're not taking our phones out as much. But I don't really buy that. No, well, I think part of it's because we doubled the size of the phones, so we increased the size of the well, batteries, right? That's that's, that's not interesting. That's not always the fact, though. But yeah, I mean, because I'm that's using a the Nexus Six, factor. and the bigger size means I'm doing less on like my laptop and tablet, and I'm doing more on my phone. Right. Which means that there's times where you know I was you know looking after my friend's cats and I was watching Netflix on my phone at her house, and because I was too lazy to like turn on TV and like figure out which output, like I just was like whatever. I was watching on my phone, and this that was over the holidays. There was like more than two days where I got to like 8 p.m. and my phone was like, "Hey, plug me in." And this is like the Nexus Six, and it was like, "Plug me in, I'm almost out." So I'm doing so much more on my phone now that it's okay. It's impacting the battery. So let's talk about that situation right there, because I think if we want to talk about the next level of tech, because Daniel's right, there is this stabilization um, of yeah. what devices do. We don't really need our phones to do any new things now. We got cool video stuff. We got great screens. We can kind of consume and create content in really smart ways and in beautiful ways. But the the next thing is you sitting down to the couch watching Netflix on your phone and something just says, hey, Jane, do you want me to just push this to the display screen and pick this up right where you left off, like in a super easy way? That's that's not like a new. You're still just watching Netflix, but the the component. But it that does comes, that in my house because that little Chromecast thing is there, and it's like, wouldn't you prefer to watch this on the TV that's ten feet away? And I'm sometimes I'm like, yeah, I would, and sometimes I'm like, nah. Yeah, but that's that's a that's a pre that's a prepared system that you've like specifically bought to do that. I'm saying any screen, just send it. Like even as much as the what has been added to iOS eight, 
this year in terms of like cross connectivity between um, Yosemite and iOS 8 is like really cool. It's still clunky. You still have to pair it. You still have to like yeah, find but it. Chromecast is doing like they're eliminating pairing with guest mode. If my friend had a Chromecast with guest mode, I wouldn't even need to be on her Wi-Fi. I could just turn on her TV and exactly would be like, hey. So I feel like that that is just the beginning stage of where we start looking at all these touch points. Whether you're using your 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 phone a lot or your tablet a lot, they just become screens that are outputs or inputs for the bigger system, which is working for you. And Daniel made a really good point about like you know Twitter and the ad model. I don't think that's going to work in terms of monetizing where the next generation of, of tech goes, which is like deep, useful services. But I think it might go back to like, wouldn't you pay if you're willing to pay like $9 a month to just watch TV through Netflix or show me or whatever, wouldn't you pay like $15 a month to have like a digital personal assistant to have her, just working for you all the time, being super helpful, you know, taking but walks the only by way the to, beach. The only way to do that, the only way to do that is to feed all of your pertinent life information into a system and we're, have it crunch the numbers. Yeah. Well, so, we're already so yeah, we're already her, doing that, right? But we we are, but we're we're doing that, and we're giving permission for these companies to uh, take in all this data. But the only the only uh, like Google's. Google's the biggest and best example of this because you give them permission to feed your email, your maps information, your um, you know passive location data mm-hmm. into a into a single source, and it spits out Google Now, which is really quite incredible when you think about how much data goes into it. But at the same time, what you're talking about, you know, the ability to throw any any content to a particular screen. Um, you know, that's not really doable because we've tried that before and open standards don't work. So, for example, Sony has the ability to throw anything, any piece of content from your sm- from your smartphone or tablet to any DLNA or Miracast connected screen. The problem is that the open standards are often interpreted differently. It's, it's a similar problem to IMAP. Every single server interprets IMAP differently. Every single mm-hmm. TV interprets DLNA or Miracast differently. So because AirPlay is a closed-loop system that only works with iOS devices, the, like, yes, you have to explicitly pair it and then send it to the screen, but it works. Whereas DLNA, I find, never works reliably, yeah, and no, Miracast is just a joke. You're, you're totally right. And so... I wouldn't say that every open standard works that way. I think the bad ones work that way. And, and, the, and the protocols created by these hardware companies where they're doing their own proprietary interpretation of that are, are bad. Um, but, for example, like, USB works. Um, the new, some of the new Wi-Fi um, sharing modes work really well. Although even in that instance, it's an implementation thing. Like, we talked, I think, last week or the week before about FireChat and how just it doesn't work like it had to be built custom on android because they're not supporting that but i I think you know that's where that's where the work comes in like that's where it's not like you you're not you're not going to get any better just by bumping specs anymore like these things aren't going to get better through moore's law it's going to have to be it's software no but moore's law is not going anywhere and we saw that with something like the um the ipad air 2 
they had no reason to add an extra core to A8. They had no reason to custom design their own GPU. The iPad Air was was already more powerful than most tablets on the market. But they did it because they are future-proofing their hardware, and they know that eventually their software is going to catch up and people are going to be able to take advantage of this. They also know that 12 months, 24 months down the road, there are going to be new products that are... Uh, that are going to pair with this. So the more powerful an iPhone is, the more it can do in the background to offload, you know, uh, compute to the Apple Watch. So the A9, for example, is going to be optimized. It's probably going to have four cores, or I mean, most likely have four cores. And they're going to be using those cores to do, you know, compute power for the Apple Watch. I understand that. I, I agree. I'm just saying that, you know... If all these phones just do is the same thing but faster, you're not really going to need that power. It's not about being faster, though. It's about doing more efficiently at the same time. So, you know, we're talking about, like, the first 64-bit chips were not faster in any, you know, uh, numerical way. They're not 2.7 gigahertz. They're 1.9 gigahertz, right? So the Snapdragon 810 is actually slower it has a slower clock speed per core but it just has more cores and that's the that's the same thing that intel and amd bumped up against with the quad core uh you know 64-bit era back in like early 2000s right they had no choice you you don't you don't hear of a 10 gigahertz um intel core i7 you hear about an octa core you know 2.5 gigahertz or whatever because the um you know the actual clock speed generates, you know, the higher the clock speed, it, you know, it generates more heat, and that it's that's far more difficult to uh, to run um, efficiently with, you know, batteries being as small and as inefficient as they are. Douglas, do you think? Because earlier on you said that you, I think this kind of ties into what you're saying about um, you don't, you know, you don't think we need our phones to do more. Um, you think that. And I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I really can see where you're coming from with that because and it feels like the same point with that you're making with the hardware, but um, I've to make clear I agree with you on the second point, but not on the first point. I think that hardware um, has kind of stabilized to the point where you can make an affordable phone with great hardware and not have problems with software. But I don't know if I agree with you when you say that we don't need our phones to do more. And I think part of our phones doing more and figuring out how our phones can can do more in a, in a really meaningful way um, will be helped by better hardware. Yeah, okay, so I think breaking this down, we have to talk about what I mean by more because it's, it's very confusing and I have a, I'm coming at it from my own perspective. So just let, let, let's trace it back to smartphone development where you have dumb phones uh, which do one thing, uh, send and receive calls, and then they do a second thing. They're doing more. Like a new feature set, a new dynamic, which is uh, text messages. Then they open up and they maybe have some basic application stuff. So it can be calendar, contacts, some sort of smart contextual thing. Um, then you get maybe more robust apps. Or probably the next thing was probably, and this was tied into hardware developments. So network capacity, radios to do uh, internet connectivity. So now you have internet-enabled phones to do some basic web browsing. Then you have smarter phones that can run... Uh, complex applications. Uh, then you probably have uh, faster radio stacks so you can do um, like video consumption. 
Then you have uh, cameras, creation tools. You have those dynamics. So when I'm saying more, I'm saying like a really new capability, like a new almost vertical of function. I think where with smartphones are at, we've gotten kind of stabilized in the specific so things sad. that they're used for. It's it's that's so sad to say that you don't need you don't need it to do more. Like isn't that like sorry, I'm for me that's basically you're saying that we, you know, these devices we have in our pockets are fine the way they are. No, what I'm saying is I'm no longer expecting the device to be the workhorse for the next grouping of mores, the next grouping of functionalities. I'm expecting that to come from uh all these like devices system. working together to make what I'm already yeah. doing better or f- to enable new things. Because I, I, that's what I think, like, we, when, when, when smartphones plateaued in their capabilities, the neck people were always like, oh, augmented reality and, like, all the, like, they were trying to find, like, a new thing or 3D. They are trying to add, like, that, that next interface oh, and that or was capability. that was the result of smartphones plateauing in their capabilities at all. Well, but, but looking for a new thing to justify what what they were going to be about and then you, all of a sudden people are like well actually that's not really interesting or cool and and then it goes back to okay let's be more efficient let's have the battery run better let's have these things happen i don't think that if you if you quadrupled the power uh if like the iphone 8 is just more powerful in all these ways i don't think that's that power is going to create a new like smell vision feature that's added to what smartphones are in the way that I just trace that thing. I think that power is going to enable kind of like what Daniel said is being able to do multiple things at once or dedicating all that resource to right. making the but things that, is, that you do interact with other things. But that is doing more. I think yes. you're, you're looking at it in a binary way. It's like, well, so it's, there's, a, back there's to my a comet more, and right? there's a big tail and you're talking about adding more pieces of rock to the end of that tail which is not necessary because the comet's already really big and destructive. And, like, I agree with that, but the phone is still going to be the epicenter of everything we do. It's not going to change. It's just going to enable more cloud-enabled services to push more data and more experiences to us. So, you know, you have a, a good example of that is the PlayStation Home or PlayStation Now and the Akamai-powered, right. you know, cloud... Uh, you know, server that will stream a game to you. I think the, you know, the the basic compute power necessary to do that is X. And once you get past that and the phone can do as little as it needs to locally, but still so allow you So is the phone to... doing more or is more happening through so the phone as saying. a touch You're point? Saying... I'm but saying the phone like... Is do- the phone is doing more because the phone still needs X to, as a baseline to perform. But it also... And even, even I, then, streaming games to your phone. We've been playing games on our phone for a while now. Is that a new thing? Or is it... Like, I guess... It, I'm trying to break down more as, as in, like... Oh, we've never been able to have the capability to, like... Like, take a picture or access the internet. And now we're talking about... I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying that you think that the next... The next mores, as you say, are gonna be, like... Oh, you know, your phone can now, like, control x y and z aspects of your home because of you know the internet things and this overarching system that feeds information to all of those devices but you have to realize that like you know let's say when when there's like a flying car or a hovercraft and they're like oh and like your phone plays into it and and ties into the system in this way that the current 
like hardware specifications and like the current where we are currently like it's not going to be enough for everything you can't just say that it's going to be okay. like that's enough for all future needs so let's talk about how it should be it... <sighs> no seriously, i don't think I'm... it should be i think the more our phones do the less time we spend looking at people and i think that's another problem is that we as we push our phones to do more in our lives and replace everyday things um that's that becomes a problem because you spend less time and i i mean even this uh may not be a great example but i spend a lot less time at the movie theater with friends because it's so easy to just pick up netflix and stream it to a to a, mm-hmm. a screen in my home or to sit in bed and watch oh, netflix yeah oh and then the and, last few movies we've gone to have been like super fun right right um, but it's also that's that's the thing is that you think to do it less and you end up with people um, you know, checking their screens during dinner because that's an accepted form of behavior. Mm-hmm. And the, th- the fact that our phones are more than just, can do a lot more than just open Instagram and, and make, you know, send text messages and, and, and make phone calls. The fact that we can literally do anything we want on our phones at all times of the day means that we have an increasing number of excuses not to be paying attention to the people around us. Yeah. Well, that's an entirely, I, you know. Yeah. But that was also a, a, a feature of 2014 that I found to be quite oh, absurd, yeah. uh, quite upsetting. Do you think it's you? You talk about the the checking your phone at the dinner table, and isn't it, that's kind of now an acceptable way to behave. Does any like? Do you guys feel really crappy when you do that? I feel I feel like a really bad person. I try like, not. Like if to, my phone I, goes I'm off and I know that it. it's like. Yeah, but I know that it's like if it's a family member who's like their flight is delayed or something and I have to respond, I always feel like such a dick when I pick up my phone. Yeah, but it's it's also one of those things Ooh. where there were reasons to get up from the table before smartphones too. Uh, yeah. There, there's just more excuses not to pay attention to the people around you now. And, and I think one of, the, one of those like checkboxes of smartwatches was that you're not going to have to take out your phone as much because... You can triage notifications more efficiently and know when to take out your phone and when not to. Well, you read my mind because I was going to say, even now with my smartwatch, like when, when someone's talking to me and I receive a notification, I either have to prevent myself from looking at it and be like, nope, check it later. Because I know that if they're telling me something about like what they did last night, like so even something mundane, if I look at my watch and do this, I'm like, that's that makes you look like well, Jane and I, Jane and I wrote a whole article about this earlier in the year. We're like, what's what's the etiquette? of of using tech and when do people notice and i think even just what jane's talking about is like the the preemptive apologizing to let them know that the thing you're doing on your phone is actually an important thing rather than what we're doing 90 percent of the time which is just uh harding instagram photos like back back when back when you got an important call at a restaurant i mean someone had been hit by a car and you got up and everyone's like, oh, okay, go, to, go take care of that. Um, now you have to be like, that message will come to you on your phone. And you have to let everyone know that it's a different thing than, um, you know, getting two favorites on your tweet or something like that. The worst thing about smartwatches, though, is that there isn't that distinction yet. I guess, like, the priority mode and stuff, it kind of helps. Yeah, that's, that's new to Android Wear 5. And I think that was yeah. a, a big change to Lollipop in general. Uh, that, but oh, that system is so confusing to me. It is, like, but I just... but I, I think the idea behind it is sound because what it's doing is yeah. Google's saying we understand that you get a ton of notifications. We're sorry, but we have a really big app store, and you've mistakenly downloaded way too many apps, and they'll all send you notifications. We can't do anything about that, but we can allow 
you to set a priority mode so that you can manually allow mom, dad, girlfriend, boyfriend, brother, sister, and your favorite apps to send you notifications and leave the rest out while you're at dinner. And by the way, here's a single toggle that can make that happen. And everything else we'll be doing behind the scenes. So, for example, when we know that you're at a restaurant, we can put your phone on silent. Or, yeah. you know, that's another thing that phones have been able to do this year. A lot of, a lot of um, features like uh, Moto Assist have mm-hmm. been integrated into the OS itself. And it uses context. It uses your calendar. It uses location to figure out when you're busy and when not to disturb you. Mm-hmm. Um, because smartphone manufacturers are un- they understand that addiction is a real thing, and you know. So that's the thing that I I think I was I don't know if I was saying it I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was saying that I can't you know I I was complaining about lollipop and how yeah my my only way so that my phone doesn't disturb me all day every day is to put it on that like that blocked mode where it blocks everything, mm-hmm. um, and then it, it just doesn't set off alarms or do any do any of the stuff that you actually do want it to do. And then if you put it on priority but turn down the ringer, it for phone calls will vibrate twice and then just go silent, like just do nothing. So you a lot of time you miss those. So I don't know why I can't be the only person who with with KitKat just turned off vibration, turned off all all noises because I check my phone so often anyway that it's unlikely that I will miss anything. Yeah, I so, think there's a big issue with Lollipop around notifications that i think is a behavior thing that google hasn't recognized that some people just want to silence everything not turn them off but silence everything Mm -hmm. except for like alarms and potentially phone calls because they're checking their phone so often anyway that they don't they don't need google's help in like telling them when the notifications come in and or they or they do need google to help in a way more holistic way so it's just like Oh, okay. Hey, your meeting's over. Here's the five messages you received. This is the priority one. Yeah. Like, but I think Google is trying really hard. And the sad thing is, is that there still doesn't exist a thing where when I'm watching Netflix on my phone and killing the battery, even when I have it on do not disturb, those notifications still pop up on my screen yeah. and I have to like touch them to get them away. So why isn't there a do not disturb mode that assumes I'm playing a game or, or doing something on my phone that's important and it's like, oh... She doesn't want to be disturbed, like, not doesn't want to be disturbed in her life, but doesn't want to be disturbed on the phone. I I think that's just an effort on Google's part to simplify Android in general. Uh, You know, they're, Android for a long time, and this is kind of one of my, one of my touch points of the year, is that um, OS's got simple and they got more complicated at the same time. And, you know, iOS 8, Android 5, they're all examples of, you know these these companies trying to differentiate between what we do and what we continue to want to do on the desktop versus the limitations of of a mobile phone and perhaps the behaviors that we um, display on a mobile phone and how people don't necessarily always want to be buzzed. You know we want yeah. And I, I think Google's done a really good job with Google now to try to offload a bunch of those notifications that we would normally be pushed. Yeah. To just silently give us these like, hey, you know, small pieces of information. It's also yeah. sending me notifications for things that I haven't told it to. So like, if I receive an email with an appointment time, but I haven't set that in my calendar, yeah. Google now still tells me like, hey, someone told you you have to be at your physio appointment at this time. You need to leave now. Like it, yeah. it made. But then it, it there's it, also backfires because some PR person was I can't remember who it was 
was like, oh yeah, but I didn't get into the office until 2 p.m. And then I got a Google Now meeting thing for like office 2 p.m. And I was like, no. Yeah, I, I mean that's like... just one of those things that yeah. you know, it's it's the limitation of of language, but right. it's context. It's context. It's knowing what you need at that time. If there's a, if there was a mm. phone that would let me know the information that I need when I need it. That's that's way better to me or more useful and important and like life changing than getting a higher resolution screen or you know a more megapixel camera or something like that. That is like true technological change. Sure, and I I think you know if we're looking at one of the buzzwords of 2014, you know, there's fleek and hot takes and uh, bay and all those things, but there's also context and, uh, you know, priority and, and like, you know, all of these things that are, that are boring, but sort of important in our, in our daily lives. And, um, you know, context is, is a big one. And I think there, there's been a movement to sort of make phones less intimidating. Mm. Um, you know, everybody's sort of entrenched in, in an ecosystem or, or you know, a, a manufacturer that they like. They're not going to, most people don't want to just switch from Android to iOS or, you know, iOS to Windows Phone on a whim anymore because they've already. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Made a lot of purchases. They already have their things set up the way that they want to. So instead of, you know, sort of this, um, this, movement to get people to buy into an ecosystem they're just making the ecosystem that you're already in more mature and more capable and ios 8 and android 5 and to a lesser extent windows phone 8.1 and blackberry 10.3 are examples of that yeah so i agree um and you know we, t we talked a lot about and and that's where you know this why we're tech writers and and other people aren't because we can we recognize or dedicate time in understanding the difficulties of like how people ap approach tech where people who are already invested in tech maybe just have blinders or don't even see the impediments like the, the is that why we're tech writers well i think it's i think it's why we're i, I thought think it's it was what, because we were full of our own self-importance yes yeah, well th that was that was the subtext to what i was saying <laughs> yeah. but no maybe that's i think that maybe is what makes a good tech writer is like a, applying again context to that understanding because you have you have major like both google and apple have pages on their website about here's the steps you need to take if you want to switch from a android phone to an ios or an ios to an android phone and you know, if if you have to go read about how to like take, if you, just from an external position, I have I have phone A, I want a new phone, phone B. They all generally do the same things. Uh, this one's newer, uh, and it's 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 the it's uh, it's red versus blue. I'm switching from team red to team blue. If I have to go to a website and like read a list of like steps to take to get from team red to team but blue, I think you're missing the point. Technology's not working for you. No, my, well. I'm either missing the point or making a different point. Go. 
Well, the, oh, my point will be that these are different companies who have their own bottom line and their own, I guess, I guess their own agenda. And the fact that they've gone from saying, why would you switch? <laughs> We're the best to saying, if you want to switch, it's not impossible. Here's how you can do it. No, no, I, I totally agree. Because you can't ignore the fact that in any industry, different ecosystems will exist. I totally agree with different that. Different platforms. I totally agree with that. Um, and I, I think that's really important. I think to to parallel it to other situations, if you buy a Honda car and then you buy a Ford car, you don't need to read about how to drive a new car. You just plug in yeah, your keys when, and once, go. Yeah, but once like, Internet of Things takes over the world and our cars are capable of doing much more, like if you had a Nokia 3210 and wanted to switch to, like, I don't know, some other phone that I can't remember the name of, um, that was easy to do because you just it's fine that you have to relearn like you know oh text messages are, are accessed from a different menu or whatever but it was easy because the phones didn't do anything <laughs> they sent texts they made calls java email if you were feeling fancy other than that j2me ride or die memory leaks but like they didn't they didn't like there wasn't a whole lot to to do to switch with yeah okay so i i think one of the most frustrating parts of my job is dealing with, you know, friends and family members going, hey, what phone to buy? And I, I love answering that question, but I feel like it's frustrating because then I'm not doing a good enough job in my job telling people what phone to buy. But more than that, a lot of the questions are, are really, you know, asinine. Like, how do I get my contacts from my iPhone to my new Android? And I'm like, why isn't, why isn't your manufacturer making that easy? Why is it only one or two, like, why is it Motorola you know, why is it only Motorola doing a good job allowing people to transfer contacts from an iPhone to an Android? And why don't people know that contacts are generally stored in the cloud now? And if you have a Google address or an iCloud address or a Yahoo address or an Outlook address, your contacts are pretty much there. This is what I'm saying. Why do you have them saved to your SIM card? Like, do you have any, do you have any people I know personally that I've been like, oh, I'm switching phones. And I'm like, okay, so do you have them in your Gmail contacts? Like, why would I have my, I don't want my, my text message contacts, the people that I text to be with my emails. And I'm like, do you not know how like contextual profiling work? Like, anyway. but it's also like, you know, people have to deal with things like card dav and cal dav. And yes. it's like, nobody knows what the hell that is. They just want to log into Google and get all of their calendars and their contacts. And, and I take it for granted that it's super easy, but I guess it's not. And it's really one of those things that it's like a bare bones, basic piece of functionality it's yeah. not super that it's easy super intimate no it's super intimidating to yeah. people and these manufacturers make it really really hard yes and it, but they also i don't know i think we take for granted like the, the knowledge that we have and yes. even on a really basic level like i don't know there's a very smart man who works in in the same office building as us and he came over to to mobile syrups work area and he was like hey uh i'm buying a new iphone today which should i buy the iphone 6 or the iphone 6 plus and i was like <laughs> that's like uh, that that to me is like should i buy an apartment or a house and it's like well which do you need yeah. <laughs> like how much and, money and do I was you like, have well, should i marry well, no, for looks like, or do money you like... <laughs> but it's like do you <laughs> but it's like do you like Both. do you like big phones or do you want a phone that's small and you can be used with one hand it's like oh i definitely want to use my phone with, like use it with one hand and i was like well there's your answer. yes okay but but like, that's but me- that's you being like a subject matter expert 
and like having useful information based upon what's out there. What, no, that's, that's a not little, being a subject matter that's, expert. That's like well, no, but you are. That's I would we would have this. We would ask the same people things about cameras, about um, bicycle, like all these things. What Daniel is talking about is the people who make technology not prioritizing their efforts and making that technology. I know what I'm saying is that easy. you can't place you can't place all the blame on it when like and I would say that I'm the same when it comes to cars, houses, everything, like jewelry, clothes, when the people you're selling to are so stupid <laughs> and don't and don't no, ask like no, I feel like No, sorry. It's not why should they ever have no, to spend I think that, I don't think... any time learning about CalDAV, CarDAV, like so. So for no, example, no, I'm not saying no, they no, should. No, no. I'm saying so, that's their fault. It's not. But you it's can't not their say fault. You can't that's, that's stupid. No, that's the manufacturer's oh, fault. Oh yes, it's manufacturer's. That's the manufacturer's it's, it's, fault. But I'm saying that you have to. I'm sympathetic to 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 the fact that even if they made everything really easy to switch, you would still get someone saying like, "I don't know if I want the big one or the small one," and I'm like, "Well, how much room do you have?" Like, you still get. You'll still deal with the fact yes, that. Yes, but that, but but that's but what I'm saying is the. If that should I get the big one or the small one is a totally different situation than all the other issues that make even just engaging with technology way harder than it should be. Imagine if you had to like software update your baseball bat or something like like I spent my I spent you no, will I spent someday. my holidays trying to get my stepmother's email, her personal email moved from Outlook Express to Outlook 2010, not even the newest version. To do that, so th- this is, and this isn't like, oh, I'm trying to get from Google to uh, Apple. I'm trying to get from one company's older product to a moderately newer product. To do that, I had to use three intermediaries to convert emails to a format that the newer like system would understand. Like, can you imagine being a person where you're like, hi, I'm 55, I've raised these many kids, I have a life to get to, all I want is my emails to work in the new system, and I have to like go deep into the forums to understand which programs to convert my personal information to, because this technology company hasn't spent any time making the most basic thing simple to do. Why isn't it one button? Oh, it's like, hey, okay. we saw that you use... You had Outlook Express, you. and you have your emails saved here. Do you want all your emails in your thing? Boom. Like, people make a lot of fun about, you know, uh, BlackBerry's approach to technology, but BBM on your iPhone still works with 1.0 version of BBM. Okay, but I agree with you, definitely, that going from, comp- like, one company software... Because they spent the time <laughs> to make sure... Because it, it's, it's much easier... For technology manufacturers to just say, "Oh, hey, you have to go upgrade to the new thing. We don't support this thing anymore," and which is okay. Yeah, but, but BBM. Okay, that, that's that's absolutely not true because you cannot send and receive half of the new features on BBM from BBM six or whatever it is now. But you can send BBM messages. Yeah, and you can send an email to somebody using Outlook Express okay. to somebody. The the fact that you are having to muck into like the the you know innards of Outlook Express is not a it's not impugning email it's impugning the idea that email has advanced to the point where they have to update the database and make it so that it's 
compatible with newer email versions an, of Windows. Email like, as an advanced Express... point of anything. It's still literally she had like a hundred saved emails. Right, but your your mother your 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 stepmom could have cha- could have continued using um, Outlook Express or just not transferred her emails over and continued no like gone into Outlook. Because it wasn't, wasn't supported in the version of Windows she was using. Okay, what I'm saying is that she could still have logged into her email on Outlook 2010. You're talking about transferring over old information. This is a fundamental problem with computers and and like the idea of old legacy data being updated to support newer hardware, right? That's why emulation is a thing. That's why you have to, you know, conform to these sort of newer standards because if I want to use a program that was compatible with Windows 98, I often have to make sacrifices in order to make it work with with Windows 10 or, or so, 8 or whatever. Douglas, I think that's, my point, that's just a reality. I think my point was that manufacturers can make it as easy as possible for users, but they'll still it still won't be easy enough. I think your point is that it should be it shouldn't be so hard to go from to stay within an ecosystem. Even that's difficult. But you can't expect like Outlook Express was like 1997 to like two like it was like five years from 1997 onwards. So like two th- early two thousands, like that was gone. So like you can't ex- like would you expect them to support it forever? Why? But it's like, just email. At what point did that person like like I understand that we're in the technology space, so we're getting the new thing every year. This person is literally just looking to communicate with their friends and family. They they updated essentially every four years, every four or five years, to where the point like they legitimately need a new computer. Why is it like ice ages? Why did it? Why did it get so hard to just continue doing what they were doing with this new thing? I'm saying, like, fundamentally, the way that technology companies approach doing that stuff is it's not their focus because they have a financial incentive to, like, get you buying new products. But then also... Because when that product came out, Elton John's Candle in the Wind was number one. And Like, that's a long time ago. And you know what? If you have that song on a CD player... That still works in any CD player. Like, you don't have to, like... But it's information. It's not, like, a physical thing. No, but the... It's just... Like, I don't... I mean, it's eventually... It's just a song on a disc. It's the same... It's ones and zeros. Like, eventually, you may you may buy a PlayStation or an Xbox, which is probably, for many people, the only disc drive remaining in yeah. their homes. It is for me. And those may not play audio CDs anymore, right? Mm. Down the road, in 20 years... We may get to the point where, yeah, why why would they support these legacy mediums when they don't have to? Like, they could advertise the newest, um, you know, compatibility, but what incentive do they have to support legacy media? It's not like you can play a, a tape That's already happening, else. too. Like, I, I know, like, five years ago, six years ago, I made, like, a video for my sister um, from, like, a party that we were at, and she was like, oh, can you put that on a DVD for me? And I burned it onto like I burned it onto a disc, thinking that she wanted she just wanted a copy of the file. Mm-hmm. And then she complained that it didn't work in the DVD player at home. And I was like, oh, that's not like a rewritable DVD. That's a rewritable like CD. Like you can take the file okay. off it. But that's already happening. Yeah. Like, it's but, already happening. But, where... Okay, but that's less of a hardware medium than how the information was formatted, right? So let's talk about let's talk about not like no longer having CD players. And let's talk about no longer supporting file types. Man, this is not the end of 2014. This is like the end of like... No, but like... <laughs> 2006. But look at it. Look at, yeah. look, at it, look at the future and say, like, wouldn't it be... 
wouldn't it be so much better if the, if the things that are going to change are going to be systems and how we interact? Isn't it going to be a situation where, especially with all of our personal information, all of our activity, all these things stored in the cloud, there's going to be some need for mutability of that information because we can't just say, oh, you just need to update to, you just need to buy a new box now and the new box is it. Because nothing exists in the box. The, the box is just a screen now for all the information that exists somewhere else. So that information is going to have to be dynamic and versatile and constantly updatable. Like we, we were talking about wearable, um, like fitness trackers, step trackers, and wearing two different ones. And the information that they both were providing being completely different. How is that going to work in an age where we have Apple Health and Microsoft Health and all these things that are, are, are trying to track your his, historical biometrics to have an understanding of whether or not you like have cancer or need to see the doctor or all these things? Like The way that that information is handled, that is like the future of technology. Even just like the Sony hack, going back to this idea that somehow they were able just to get like – all of the security, they were just able to go into a server and get like the Outlook profiles and all the saved emails for all these people. Every conversation you ever had professionally and personally is existing out there. And it was just, they were just able to take it like right out of a jar. Well, I, th I think so that's they they weren't sort of the Outlook a, Express. <laughs> a myopic way of looking at it. I don't think they, I mean, it was, it's a matter of authentication. The it, it looks like they had inside help so that somebody who knew the ins and outs of the infrastructure helped them get in. But, but I'm saying everything was there. I also agree with you. Yeah, anything stored locally is is, is a problem. It wasn't and I, stored and I locally. also think that... Well, it was, using, it was using Outlook. So they were using ActiveSync. They were using okay. um, uh, Exchange. So it, it was stored somewhere. I mean, it wasn't stored on Microsoft servers. It was basically Microsoft's exchange infrastructure that was breached from what yeah. I understand. Um, but I think, you know, talking about this stuff, you know, talking about like legacy systems is a good, a good way to talk about the future of, of storage and of, of, you know, distribution, because the more we rely on these cloud services to store all, our data, and, you know, we're 10 years into Facebook now. We're like five years into Dropbox. Um, where are all of our things, right? And 2014 was the year that I stopped worrying about local storage because by and large, all of my photos are on Google Plus and Dropbox. All of my data is on Evernote and Google Drive. All of my, uh, my thoughts are, you know, in day one. You know, these are services that I don't host any of this data anymore. And that was a big trend for the for the year, for me at least, and I know f for a lot of other people. Um, you know, just the efficiency of cloud systems has, tr has trumped local storage. And, you know, we hear every time I review a Galaxy phone and people are like, well, at least they still have external, you know, external media support and, and removable batteries. And I'm like... Why is that important? But that's because some people aren't ready to move into the cloud era and they don't want to rely on other companies to store their streaming music or store all their or their data, or right? their personal photos. J Law, shout outs. Love you, Katniss. Uh, no, but but that's a thing because once because you're like you don't have to worry about 
uh, your stuff being lost on a device now. Now you have to worry about your stuff being somewhere and not understanding, you know, going back to our security podcast, like what does it mean to have it in the cloud? What are all the new concerns that are going to come about that that information is way more easily accessible because you can't just cut a wire. Like I think, you know, that's, that's going to be a big thing in 2015. Yeah. I think when you say that this year was the year of, um, of like getting like relying on the cloud, I think I relied on the cloud last year, but I worried about like, it's not local. Like what happens if like, what do I do when it's not right there? And now this year I'm like, it's not, it's not like it's on the cloud. I used to worry about it not being here. And now I worry about it being there. Yeah. I think this year, uh, brought security and the vulnerability of, of large company security infrastructures to the fore. And I, implore anybody not using two-factor authentication for every service they can to turn it on today make it a new year resolution um start doing that because you're going to be hacked at some point i mean whether it's somebody you know just breaking into a a, a weak password or you know your password being stored on a cloud server that's been you know, that's been uh compromised you know eventually somebody is going to get somewhere that you don't want them to get. And, you know, this is just, the Sony hack is, is an example of, you know, people, innocent people getting their, their information strewn around the internet because they worked for a mm-hmm. company, right? Or like, even like the it, thing this that has nothing to do with them. The iCloud hack, that's again, innocent people having their stuff strewn about on the web just because of what they do. For their job. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting. Like Apple never really acknowledged what happened there, but I mean, clearly, what was going on was that they these hackers were were using uh, were able to take advantage of the reset password API mm-hmm. and just you know brute force guessed a bunch of these passwords and got into the got into some of so these. So I was listening to the last Vergecast of the year. Um, shout out to the Verge uh, right before this podcast, uh, just because whatever. Uh, and they were talking... Because la- you love The Verge. Because I love The Verge. I'm all about The Verge. Bah, 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 bah. Nile, what's up, Dieter? Ah. Um, sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> and they were talking about... Because their last podcast was a, a few weeks ago. So, like, right in the middle... This was before the interview had been released for streaming. So, it was, like, right in the middle of, like, Sony Hack Central Station. Um, and they were talking about just one point that was interesting. Uh, how the company's actually responsible for the vulnerabilities haven't taken, haven't been, like, a source of focus or have been required to, like, Microsoft hasn't come out, had to come out and talk about how, about their Outlook vulnerabilities. Apple really didn't get much heat for um, iCloud being vulnerable, although that's a very different scenario because that's them trying to balance this, like, security versus making it easier for users to um, access their information, as as, uh, Matt Braga talked about on our, our podcast. But... Like, this whole relationship between, like, trusting not only the place that you're putting it, but, like, the how all the things that that place that you're putting it can then be accessed by. Like, it's like a Kevin Bacon scenario of, like, once it's out there, there's this huge spider web of of relationships that you're probably not aware of, that no person should have to consciously be aware of, that makes all this stuff vulnerable. And it's horrifying. Right, but I mean, if... <laughs> to me, anyways. So, yeah, I mean, this, the blame can partly be levied on, on Apple and 
uh, and Sony, but or Apple and and, and uh, Microsoft. But the blame here is poor password management and it's authentication. And I think that 2014, one of the biggest trends for me was the idea of of alternative forms of, of authentication. You know, uh, Touch ID was not a 2014 invention, but the idea of alternatives like the NIMI ban, which allows for ECG uh, authentication, it's biometric. Mm-hmm. Uh, it cannot be fished because everybody has a unique uh, heart rate. Things like Touch ID, it's not infallible, but it's certainly a, a more customer-friendly alternative to remembering you know, really difficult passwords yeah. or or the lesser alternative, which is to use the same password everywhere, which too many people still do. So for me, the year of this year kind of was summed up by um, us versus them, the idea that we have to keep our stuff safe and choose the services that are going to keep our stuff the safest and making sure that, you know, like we have double locks on our home doors we have double locks on our virtual yeah. doors exponential locks because it's exponential access points it's funny that all the cool things that i was talking about in like my ideal version of technology require the information that i'm totally afraid of <laughs> being accessed being accessible um so but it's true i mean if you don't like farhad manju said something sort of flippantly in one of his most recent columns, but he said, if you don't want your stuff being hacked, don't put it on the internet. Like, if you're worried about sending, you know, lascivious emails to your your, your baby mama or sugar mama or whatever, whatever the kids refer to them these days. Bays. Like, don't, don't, don't send it over email. Don't, don't do that. Like, email is, is going to be hacked. So... <laughs> And don't send a Snapchat either, because we know that that's not nearly as as uh, secure as people think it is. So, what else did we kind of want to touch on this year? I mean, we we sort of gone and talked about 2014 in in a roundabout way, but what other stuff stood out to you besides wearables? Um, I'll say I'll, I'll say one: mobile payments. Uh, we haven't really adopted mobile payments in in a big way in, in Canada, but Apple Pay is sort of this um you know high level trumpet of the future and and we're going to see it in canada hopefully next year but just in general the payment infrastructure has changed a lot of the banks are getting on board and trying to make it happen rbc we did a a, a profile of them a couple of weeks ago uh you know mastercard and visa are all doing their own sort of back-end infrastructure stuff enabling uh merchants and and issuers to uh enable mobile payments uh but Will it become something that people care about in 2015? Was 2014 really the the beginning of something big, or was it is it going to peter out? I think beginning of something big, yes. I don't know. I think that 2015 will be a lot bigger. I don't know. I don't know what I use in 2015. Will you use in 2015? Yeah, I think I. I mean, I, I do. I've, now, I've really but, enjoyed using it. But, for um, but right now it's, it's, it's Android only, yeah. Android and BlackBerry. So, you know, it, it leaves a whole lot of the se- a whole big section of the population out. I think right now you're at the stage where you use it, you use it every now and again. Um, and I think that that's what I'll be doing next year. I'll use it kind of sometimes. And then yeah. maybe the year, maybe 2016 is the year where I'll be like, oh no, this is just how I pay now. Daniel, were you, no, no. were you using it because it was more convenient to use it or because you were trying to use it? 
Well, that's so that's the differentiator, yeah. right? Uh, right now, using your credit card in Canada is a lot more convenient than using a mobile payment system because the infrastructure is set up in such a way that your credit card can be inserted, you enter a PIN and you press OK and that's it, or you even tap and it's over. Yeah. Whereas in, it, for Android and BlackBerry-based mobile payment systems, you have to explicitly open an app, you have to you know use your passcode, and then you have to wait uh, while it's, you know, while NFC turns on and then you tap and it works sometimes and it doesn't work most of the time. Uh, so it's not a great experience yet, but once it becomes more valuable, once your loyalty has been integrated, once you have a single place to control all of your mobile payment stuff, then I think it'll be more valuable than just taking out your credit card, which is usually only attached to a single loyalty. Like you have your Tim, Tim card and you can you know, redeem your points for Tim, Tim yeah. Morton's uh, dollars or whatever, but if I go into if I go into a, a store and it has a loyalty program, my phone should just detect that I'm at that store and should allow me to collect those loyalty points while making payments at the same time, regardless of what phone or app yeah. I'm using. Or look at it this way: like using a phone uh, in place of a credit card at the point of sale system will never be. It might be as easy. It'll never be easier because pulling out a credit card and tapping is like that's it's the same thing. No matter how much um, Apple CEO would like you to believe that, like it's so much simpler. You just hold it on your thumb. The 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 cool thing happens is when the phone can be the point of sale system in any scenario where you don't have to go to a line. So maybe you go into a store and you're like, oh, I want this, whoop, and you just you just bought it. You didn't have to go to you don't have to, right. have to go to to a register a point of sale it just anywhere being able like the but the thing go ahead I, I I agree with you but the the thing that I I think will differentiate mobile payments is the security aspect because passcodes are in are they're fallible I mean they're four to six digit numbers that can be stolen whereas if you're using your thumb as a primary or even secondary form of authentication then your the fraud rates go down your liability goes down the credit cards are on the hook for a lot less fraud and the banks love it because they don't have to feel all these frantic phone calls when your your you know your credit card got stolen mm-hmm. so i think that's really the main point of this is that once it combines convenience and added security on top of the existing loyalty stuff, and you're right, and um, proximity. If you can walk into a store, put things in your cart, and walk out, that's a really convenient uh, yeah. method of payment. It's the dream. When I don't even have to pay for things anymore, they just take the money straight from my account. My, my dream is still... <laughs> Assuming you have like, it. I, yeah. New Year's Day, touching my thumb to my phone and having brunch delivered for me without getting out of bed. The minute that happens, we're in the future. Well, I think that's what Hurrier is for. Shoutouts. Shoutouts, Hurrier. Yeah, so what else? Uh, what else? What else guys, happened uh, this year? Well, Blackberry. We can Blackberry. talk about Blackberry. Okay, you guys start because I already used up like a lot of my rant on <laughs> uh, stuff that you guys think that I'm crazy about. So, so talk to me about your perception of, of BlackBerry because I obviously have a 
uh, a high bias uh, opinion of this company and, and maybe a relationship and perspective on it. But just as external people who saw BlackBerry as a phone manufacturer that was really bad at doing that and then now is a new thing or maybe the same thing. Like, what, 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 how do you guys see BlackBerry now? I, well, I like don't see is, them as a phone yeah. manufacturer. They're not. I mean, they make they have two phones, and they're they're okay for for a very small number of people. But even BlackBerry knows that they're no longer an OEM in the traditional sense. And I and I think people, even if they're diehard BlackBerry fans who will clutch their classics until the day they die, need to acknowledge that BlackBerry doesn't care about you that much anymore. They're okay if you buy one of their phones, but they don't make any money from you unless your boss pays for Bez, and that's really how they're going to go about this. So I think we need to stop referring to BlackBerry as an OEM because mm-hmm. uh, every time it's, it's just making, it's putting BlackBerry in the same sentence as Apple and Samsung is doing both Apple, Samsung, and Bla- or all a- Apple, Samsung, and BlackBerry a disservice yeah. because they're no longer the same kind of company. Totally. Right. BlackBerry is a lot more like Microsoft than they are like Samsung or Apple. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. Like I, I feel like I haven't felt that they were the, like in the same category for a really long time. And but then the fact that before this year, I think they were still trying to convince us that they were. Yes. So that almost put them in that category. So even though I was like, that's not what you do anymore. Like give it up. But they were like, no, this is what we do. And I was like, okay, you want to be you want to be compared to those guys? I'll compare you to those guys. But now that it, I feel like there's so much like this year, like. There was, so much less panic. Yeah, Alicia, so much Alicia Keys wasn't that long ago, right? Like, they were still, no. they were the last person to know that that relationship was over. So, um. so I'm like, <laughs> I feel like this year there was less panic. And I feel like because they've accepted it, now we can finally categorize them the way that we've wanted to for so long. And in the end, they come out in a pretty positive light, which is cool. They threw out all their ex's stuff to take it all the way back. Yeah. And now they're not sad no, and single. True. They're now, like, empowered and single. Yeah. We yeah, should put I that one in I'm, an article. <laughs> that analogy is and good. It is. I mean, it's true. They they don't need. They've they've, you know, they've they've limited their focus so much that they, uh, don't need the same customer that uh, for many years was was, buoying them. To, you know, other people, right? So. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's sort of unfair, too, because we're a consumer-focused site, and BlackBerry still does so much of our search business, but we can't talk about them in the same way as we used to because BlackBerry is trying so hard to disconnect from that sort of legacy uh, persona. Well, everybody's got to grow and change, so, man. We're growing and changing, and it'd be like we're doing crazy new stuff this year i'm sure we're we've got even crazier stuff on the docket for next year and i think you know we have a responsibility as as what it means to be mobile changes you know we we change along with it like you know we didn't we didn't not write about wearables we didn't say like that's not a phone cannot go on site you know we're it's just part of our our evolution along with the industry but I, i think you're totally right that it does a huge disservice to consider blackberry anything like the other people out there or what they used to consider themselves as. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's just a matter of people reframing them in their minds and being comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we're going to continue talking about them because, you know, f- they're still a Canadian story and, and they're still very much a part of, of our DNA. And, and I, I like that. I think the people at BlackBerry are wonderful. They, they're doing good work and they try really hard and they're very earnest about their successes and failures. And I think John Chen is a great representation of that. He's, he represents a, a company that's humble and trying to, you know, rebuild something based on what worked while acknowledging what didn't. Yeah. And most companies should be so, should be so, uh, you know, should, should have as little hubris as, as BlackBerry does. Also, you know, going back to, you know, the not sexy versus still useful thing, um, you know, it might not be sexy to talk about like security and services, but like the BlackBerry blend stuff is pretty cool. And when Sony got hacked, they had to go back to using Blackberries. Like, <laughs> like this, what they're doing now is like valuable. It's just not what Apple is doing or Samsung is doing or, you know, it's not sexy. Maybe security becomes sexy in 2015. InfoSec, Taylor I Swift. I want that to be true. <laughs> I just think, um, you know, we, we need to grow our knowledge of this. You know, we know consumer back and back to front. I, you know, have pledged to make security part of my own sort of learnings in 2015 because people need to know about it and that's something that most people don't really understand it's complicated it's boring and it's something that you don't really need until it's it affects you and i think that's what what a lot of companies realize is that they don't take it seriously until they get until they get yeah until they get bitten screwed even hey sony got hacked more than once even they weren't taking it seriously like how many times you got to get hacked before you're like we should have the best security in the world oh totally there was no reason that they should have gotten hacked this time. But, you know, good for BlackBerry for for propping them up in their time of need. Yeah, the BlackBerrys uh, that they got from the basement. 9900s. In, yeah. Amazing. That says something, too, though. It's like the basement but, is in... It was, it was in the basement of a building that's been, like, marked as, like, an historic structure on the Sony Sony Pictures Entertainment lot in, in L.A. It's like, it's like we where do we put these? Movie prop. It's like, yeah, we'll put them with that other old stuff over there. <laughs> Well, at least they own the rights Take to their own story, tracks. right? Pardon? At least they, at least yeah. Sony owns the rights to their worked. own story. Just take out the battery, put it back in. Just worked. Uh, what else? So, what else happened this year? Well, lots of um, lots of phone releases. Um, you know, I think the highlights for me were the new Moto X, the iPhone six plus, which you know, just blew me away by how much it could do. Um, you know, the battery's fantastic. Camera's really good. As we were talking about doing more on your phone. I think bigger bigger screens legitimately have a place. Yeah. And the fact that they're taking, um, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of eating into a lot of what we, we thought of as like the tablet market. So that's a big thing that, that happened is that Fabulous started eating tablets and we wrote about that so many times. Uh, uh, we, wearables. Fourth yeah. carrier? Didn't kind of get it, maybe? Fourth carrier, sort of. I mean, the, the regulatory stuff is, is going to play a bigger part in 2015. But, yeah, I mean, wind's here to stay. They um, are going to hopefully get that set-aside spectrum that's coming in March. Yep, and then 2016 so, it'll look real good. 
2016 will look amazing for them, I hope. Uh, but the CRTC had, you know, a big, a very difficult time on their hands. They had to figure out whether they should regulate parts of the industry that um, the carriers were. I mean, the the big three are so dominant, and the CRTC has a very difficult role because they don't want to have a heavy hand in regulation, but they also need to step in to make sure that these companies are not, you know, taking advantage of consumers. And it could, you know, the, there's an argument to be made that they are. They're certainly uh, too dominant in many cases. So uh, that's going to be something that we're going to talk about a lot next year. Chairman Handsome, he's got a plan. Yeah. Remember the plan. So... New Year's resolutions, guys. Oof. Um, I don't know. Be less reliant on my phone. Be a better person. <laughs> I, I think know. that applies to everybody. Well, there you go. You guys can have that one for free. <laughs> I want to. What about you? I want to lock up my my personal security and information. I want to only use technology when it's really benefiting me, not because it's in front of me. Um, I want to use it to help me get in the best health of my life. And that's not just being in shape, but dealing with like certain issues that I have, like that keep me from being healthy. And I want to find someone who loves me. Oh, buddy, we love, we love you. you. But we, well, that's we fine. We like... understand if we're not good enough for you. It's okay. You're all spoken we'll try for not to get too attached. I just, I think that he oh. wants, he wants somebody to snuggle with at night. Yeah. Or someone um, to share the burden of your cats and their snuggle needs. I'll, I'm just going to buy the biggest Android tablet I can and like just tape someone's face to it. <laughs> That's a good idea. What about you, Daniel? Uh, I want to learn. I, I think I spent a lot of time this year sort of re- reasserting, um, you know, learning about things that I already know. And I, I think next year is, is, a, is a year of learning for me. I'm getting married which is insane so i want to learn about you know being a more patient person and yeah that too doug um i want to doug's being saucy on the chat Uh, i I want to i want to make sure that um you know i i continue to to grow as a writer and i i think that's going to be shown off in in new ways on the site we're going to do a lot more video as well and we're a lot more tweet long our form pieces. yeah <laughs> tweets in 140 words uh, um, so I'm, I'm excited for 2015 and uh yeah that's that's about it i i think um you know we've had a really great year on the podcast i want to s- thank everybody for for listening it's been a really cool fun ride and uh, it's only going to get better next year and if you have any suggestions for the pod, let us know. And we are uh, always, always open to that. Uh, Shout-outs to everybody who's, who's stuck around this long every week. It means so much to us that you're still here. Now, I want to thank our, our amazing sponsor, Row Mobility. They've been with us for four weeks now, and uh, we cannot thank them enough. They're also going to be covering our CES. Uh, where they're, they're, they're sponsoring our CES coverage, and uh, they are fantastic if you need anything for uh great u.s coverage anywhere in the u.s or mexico hit romobility.com we will have lots more guests in 2015 as well uh that's something that uh our friend christian from rome 
uh, asked us, so we are uh, complying with that. And thank you. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, listeners. Thank, thank you, readers. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, everybody. You guys are amazing, and we love you so much. Go uh, go, go! hug somebody. Just just find somebody to hug. Fill in I'm going to go loving. hug the closest barista. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. So from everybody on the Syrup Cast and Mobile Syrup and Beta Kit, check us out. And- See you later. Do it for the pod!